This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's episode, we are getting spooky. It's our yearly Halloween special. In the past, we've done episodes where guests shared their favorite scary movies in various genres, including Nathan Sizemore and Katie Cottrell from I Hope You Suffer. Stephanie Pryor came on as we talked about horror movies streaming on the Criterion channel, and did an epic version of Make Remake looking at three different versions of Dracula on film. On today's show, we're looking at The Unholy Trinity, three films that are considered the main launching point for modern folk horror. Folk horror has a long and detailed history in cinema, going all the way back to the silent era, where folklore was used as an inspiration for such classics like The Phantom Carriage and Haxon. It really hit its stride in the late 1960s and early 70s in England, where there was a revival and interest in stories about local mythology. Folk horror is an ever-changing genre, but one you're still able to instantly recognize. Some common subject denominators include the occult, paganism, witchcraft, devil-worshipping, turning away from Christianity and capitalism, and looking to the earth for a more holistic sense of belief and nurturing. There are plenty of other tropes that accompany folk horror, though. Some notable movies of the genre include recent entries like The Witch, Midsommar, and In the Earth, while some classics include Quiet In, Black Sunday, and Candyman. The term Unholy Trinity was coined by Mark Gaddis back in 2010 in his BBC documentary A History of Horror. It was in regards to three movies that we're going to talk about that set the tone for what would be folk horror. We have 1968's Witchfinder General, directed by Michael Reeves, 1971's The Blood on Satan's Claw, directed by Piers Haggard, and 1973's The Wicker Man, directed by Robin Hardy. I had first heard of the term Unholy Trinity when watching the documentary Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, the Kirla Jeunesse film where she chronicles the entire history of folk horror and how it evolved through time. You can hear a review of Woodlands Dark on episode 145, South by Southwest Film Festival 2021. Before we get into the movies themselves, what is your connection to folk horror, Rachel? I would say folk horror is probably my entryway into realizing I actually do like horror movies. Um, For a really long time, I kind of thought that horror wasn't really my jam. Um, I guess I didn't really fall in love with the the 80s slasher movies like most people did. I really like Scream. Like, I like the 90s horror movies. Um, But when I started kind of delving into folk horror was when I realized, like, I really like the stuff and not all horror movies are made the same. So it just broadened my kind of horizon into into films. Like, Midsommar is probably one of my favorite films that I've seen in the last... 10 some odd years like it's i i really love it and i actually constantly watch that over and over and over again um which i don't know what that says about me but yeah i really enjoy that movie so it was kind of it's yeah definitely the genre just opened my eyes up or it's the sub genre that opened my eyes up to a broader genre how about you Mm -hmm. You, i know you're not a massive horror person yeah i i'm not as I've, i've sort of made that pretty clear over the years on this show but i am slowly getting into it and it's it's one of those things where at what point am I allowed to start calling myself a horror fan? Because there's there's plenty of, of horror, scary movies and, and horror-adjacent films that I really do enjoy and I've really been able to appreciate and love what they're doing. So it's one of those things where I question myself, how long can I keep saying, oh, I don't like horror <laughs> when like I look at you know my letterbox ranking or ratings and be like, oh, you know, there's actually quite a few horror movies I really, really yeah. like and consider them some of the best movies ever made. And it, it's... I like you. I'm I'm also not really into the slasher stuff. I don't really like uh things of of paranormal, so so things like ghosts and and spirits that aren't real. 
So folklore is a really good way to sort of uh, ground the films and in, in has a good entry point for me. Like you, I, I am a big fan of Midsommar and, and uh, The Witch as well, two recent movies in the A24 canon that uh, that really kind of brought the folk horror genre to the mainstream again. But outside of that, I really hadn't seen much. It, it's, it's funny. There's this letterbox list of uh, all the movies mentioned in Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. And that movie is like four and a half hours long. And <laughs> the, the list is like 400 movies because there's like a new movie mentioned every 30 yeah. seconds, basically. And I looked at that list. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've seen like four of these movies. And I think a couple of the movies were ones that like weren't even folk horror, just ones that like they talked about as being influential to the horror genre, which were influential to then the folk horror subgenre aspect. So, yeah, I, I really have almost no connection to folk horror, but it is a style that I like. I like that it's used, it's rooted in the evil of humanity, which is usually a really common aspect in, in questioning things that's going on. So I, I do, I do like that aspect. And I think these three movies that we're going to end up talking about are ones that I all connected with because of the grounded nature of it. And really only one of them I thought was, was kind of scary. So maybe that's another reason why I like them because I wasn't too chicken. I also watched them all during the day with the lights on. <laughs> I think that's the key thing, though. What you said, like these movies are more grounded in nature than, you know, you know, Freddy or Michael or whatever, you know, those kinds of things. Because um, mm-hmm. I personally never found those movies particularly scary, if I'm honest. Like the slasher movies, I just don't find them scary. Like I think they're kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, no offense. I know horror fans are very like they're an incredibly passionate group of genre fans, but I just never found them really scary and even the paranormal stuff like ghost stories and things like that like i just never found them scary so i kind of thought like what's the point of a horror movie whereas i find like psychological horror i think that's always interesting like a movie like seven to me i think that's horror that's horror right like that's horror. yeah i i would say that's that's pretty close to horror yeah so those are the kind of movies that like i always gravitated towards with a horror element to it um but i i would say folk horror yeah i've firmly landed and i the documentary you mentioned was definitely kind of the reason that it kind of opened my eyes again to saying like, Oh, I do like full core. Like, like you said, that letterbox list, you just look at it, you go, all these movies are really, really good. So to continue (laughs) to say that you don't like horror seems rather disingenuous and probably probably like fairly superficial in like an understanding of what the genre is. Cause it's not just Mm -hmm. like, I mean that you could say that about any genre though. It's not just a simple, you know, horror is jumping out at you in the middle of the dark. Um, although that does happen quite often, but you're right in these movies, that doesn't, that's not a huge, um, that's not a huge element of them. Mm-hmm. It's, it almost is, you know, my, my, my mental block of being like, not being able to say I'm a fan of horror and, and I know horror tries not to be gatekeepy, but they, they really are, can be gatekeepy at times. Like if I was to say my favorite genre is comedy, no one's going to be like, yeah, we'll name 10 comedy films. Like, <laughs> They're just like, oh, you like to laugh, got it, or yeah. drama, or or whatever it is. Like, like science fiction, kind of is that way a little bit too. And there's a lot of debate of what is actually science fiction. I would say it depends on like what movies of science fiction. Like, if you go into the Star Wars or the Star Trek, then they like that is very gatekeepy, and they need you yeah. to prove like that you actually are a fan. That's why anytime like I like Star Trek, but I always hesitate to be like, I'm not like. Like, I'm not like a Trekkie and not to say because I think it's like disparaging. I just think I don't want to be associated with that because then people are going to start like 
quizzing me on stuff in Olivia. I have no idea. And they're going, you call yourself a Trekkie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I I think horror is the same thing. I think that there's a little bit of gatekeeping involved. Um, I know some people who really like horror because uh, it's like an element of, of how did they do that? Like, especially some of the older movies with practical effects. How did you, yeah. yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like from a filmmaking perspective, I can completely understand why horror is the entryway for people to think about practical effects and uh, movie makeup as well. Like I think movie makeup in, in horror movies tends to be where it's probably most exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I like horror. I think horror is a great genre. Um, And it's, it's incredibly different, I think, to the other ones in the sense of all the different subgenres that kind of come underneath it and how passionate the fans are of it. Yes, of course. So then I'm, I guess I'm, I'm sort of curious before we really jump into our conversation, mm-hmm. what is like, like I know a lot of people spend the month of October watching scary movies and the like. Is that something you do? Has there been any Halloween type movies that you've been watching lately? So I don't personally do. I've never had a tradition of watching certain movies at certain times of the year. Uh, like I'll, I'll watch Christmas movies in the middle of the summer. I don't know. I've, I've never been that kind of person who does that. Um, but I have a friend who is really into watching kind of spooky Halloweeny uh, movies in October. And her and I, and along with another girl, we tend to watch movies a lot uh, together weekly, virtually. Um, this kind of started during lockdown. And so through her, we've been, I've watched, what did I watch? I watched Beetlejuice uh, last week. And I'm sure another one, I just really can't remember right now. But yeah, I, I because <laughs> of because of her, I've started to kind of get into the idea of watching scary movies over Halloween. Or not yeah. even scary. I shouldn't say scary movies, just like spooky. Because Beetlejuice, I don't think is scary. It's just like a fun no. Halloween movie. Um, how about you? Are you someone who watches movies like depending on the season? Yeah, yeah. I, I think in October, my wife and I would really do enjoy watching Halloween movies. Both of us are a fan of of classic Hollywood mm-hmm. movies uh, from from this genre. So, like, we watched Creature from the Black Lagoon, which we had never seen before, which was a lot of fun and, and did a really great job with with that story. Um, and then some other first time watches were like Sleepy Hollow and Interview with a Vampire, which were both interesting mildly okay i, I like them but didn't love them uh, but yeah I, I think we'll probably end up trying to watch a, a few more movies like this we're we're in the midst of uh planning our, our wes anderson episode so that's also kind of taking place and wes anderson is about the complete opposite of, of halloween as you can get <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I i do enjoy watching it and i think these three movies have been a lot of fun to be able to, to sort of dive into and do a bit of reading onto it and, and really learn more about this subgenre. So I think we should probably just like get right into this then. Absolutely. But actually before we do, do you have a favorite Halloween movie? Oh, of all time? Like, yeah. Like your, your, well, just your favorite, like Halloween movie that you like to like that you look forward to every October watching. Well, I I'm not a, a, a rewatcher usually. Oh like, yeah, that's true. If, if, if I've if I've seen a movie more than twice, uh, I could probably count that maybe on like one hand. So I, if I were to probably put like something that I have watched often that I do quite like is, is maybe something like Hot Fuzz, okay. which I think people forget that that movie is is actually kind of freaky. It is uh, that yeah. whole like cult stuff that they have going on. That that always kind of weirds me out when I when I get to that section. 
I love that. So that's my favorite of that. What is it? The Cornetto trilogy. That's my favorite one. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good Halloween movie. I actually wouldn't have even thought about that. No, thank you. What about Me? you? Adam's Family. That's, mm. yeah. To me, it's like the best Halloween movie and a movie that actually gets better as you get older. Like, it's a really, really, it's entertaining <laughs> as a child. Like, it, I yep. always enjoyed it when I was a kid. Um, but as I've gotten older and watching it, like, through 30-something-year-old eyes, it's it's still very, very good. And you and find have yourself a, really relating to Gomez and Morticia? Yes and no. Maybe more, like, like Fester. <laughs> Maybe I'm more <laughs> Fester. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But I will say I have a much deeper appreciation for Raul Julia as like the the years go by and realizing like he played um, Gomez, but also M. Bison in Street Fighter. And I'm real like he was like really good. And it was such unfortunate like that he passed away so soon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, Adam's Family for me, my favorite Halloween movie and one that like I hopefully will watch in the next few days because we're coming up to the end of October now, I just realized. Each be tied in a prescribed fashion and cast into the moat. Only from the pen of Edgar Allan Poe could come such an horrendous tale of terror. The Conqueror Worm. Starring Vincent Price in the most diabolic role of his career. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Get on with your task. Let's dive into it. So we'll start off with Witchfinder General. Um, which is from 1968, and it's set in 1645 during the English Civil War. As the name would suggest, there's a witch finder general who is uh, looking for witches, and that is Matthew Hopkins, played by the absolutely amazing Vincent Price, and his assistant, John Stern, who's played by Robert Russell. So they go around village to village in East Anglia, um, a section, a region of England, and they're quote-unquote looking for witches. I say quote unquote because they're not really looking. They're just like torturing women and and men as well um, in the name of finding said witches. They go to a village in Suffolk and they end up getting, they round up all their targets as usual. And they start terrorizing um, a man, John Lowe's, who's played by Rupert Davis. And his niece, Sarah, played by Hilary Dwyer, who's very, very good. I really like Hilary Dwyer in this. Um, she stops, she attempts to stop him being tortured by offering some sexual favors to Hopkins. Hopkins, before he can act on this, uh, he gets taken away to another village and Stern takes it upon himself to rape Sarah. So Sarah and her soon to be husband, Richard Marshall, who's played by Ian Ogilvie, the two of them, uh, set out on a revenge mission, shall we say. So this movie is filled with a lot of kind of, obviously it's witches. So there's a lot of occult, um, themes behind it and an interesting part of this film is the director michael reeves as i said and vincent price it was very well known the two of them i don't say they hated each other but they really didn't get along doing this movie and part of that was a lot to do with the fact that vincent price being an american was not michael reeves's choice in playing the role of the witch hunter um so they had instances of like for instance Reeves wouldn't meet Price at Heathrow to welcome him into the country. Um, they during some of the fighting scenes, he made it purposely pretty difficult for Price, um, telling like Ogilvy to actually like don't hold your sh- hold your shots, hold your hits, kind of thing. Don't don't throw your punches. Like actually go for it. And yeah, it created probably a pretty 
rough dynamic <laughs> onset between the two. However, um, you know, it is probably, in my opinion, anyways, I think it's the role that Vincent Price is most well known for. Uh, considering his very, very lengthy career, this is one that's definitely stuck with him, um, even if him and Reeves didn't quite get along and the filming process wasn't the best. I think it's a pretty cool movie. It's uh, obviously set in the English Civil War. It's wildly inaccurate in terms of like a historical significance, but um, I think what's kind of cool about it is that the movie is so well done that you can almost think that this actually happened. <laughs> like it's actually kind of believable that it might have actually been going on during the English Civil War. But uh, what do you think about this one, Dakota? Well, yeah, I, I think a point to sort of clarify is Matthew Hopkins, the Vincent Price character, was a real person and he really yes, was yes. hunting so-called witches and he killed a lot of people. Um, I think I read a, a stat of something like of, of all the people that were accused and, and killed of due to accusations of witchcraft, he was responsible for something like 70% of all of them in England, which is like shocking. Very successful like, witch finder. Guy, uh, just a super yeah, this, successful this guy witch is, finder. Is an absolute mass murderer. Yeah, and like rapist um, as well. Like, a, like he was full on just a mat. Like a, he was a giant prick. But yeah, it is to say like it's been pretty widely accepted that this is not very close to to being accurate in terms of the historical yeah. aspects of it however it's a it's a narrative movie like it's a feature film so I, I never really understand why people make a big deal about that when they go this isn't what happened like it's a movie like it's not yeah a documentary is a documentary um a narrative is a narrative so yeah. um but yeah like how did you find this movie like did you enjoy this one yeah i did this this one i probably to we're going in chronological order and compared to the other two, this one is probably the least uh, folk horror-y mm -hmm. because, yes, it is about finding witches and stuff like that. But this is – this, for the most part, is from the perspective of the bad guy who isn't – like, a lot of the times, the, the bad guys in these movies are, uh, you know, the, the Satan worshippers, the, the actual witches and stuff like that. Whereas this is the bad guy who is trying to find the witches. And it the movie makes it pretty clear that, like – witches aren't real like they're the, i don't think this movie believes that that witchcraft is real and that we're we're not supposed to sympathize idolize anything like that with uh this witch finder general whereas some of the other ones just because they're they, they might be you know the the bad guys or whatever i i think specifically maybe the christopher lee part in in the wicker man when we get to that like that's a that's a character where you can still empathize with and understand and i don't want to say root for but but you can definitely see their sort of perspective whereas with this matthew hopkins is just pure evil from the get-go and and this movie is is pretty disturbing actually it it opens with the hanging of a woman, but like she's being like dragged up a hill, and then we see this hanging happen, and it's it's pretty brutal. Like it's it's a very bleak introduction, and there's quite a few more sequences like that. They 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 burn a woman alive. Um, they when they torture the people, they like stab them in the back because what, what, I'm trying to remember what it is, but like there's a point in their body where if they stab it, that's where satan is and yeah. satan will make sure that it doesn't hurt them so they're basically trying to purposely hurt them until it doesn't hurt them which is like a, a ridiculous thing 
And then there's a the whole bit about apparently swimming is a, a sign of, of Satan, <laughs> um, which was interesting because they, uh, the producers behind the blood on Satan's claw specifically said that they needed to have a similar sequence because they also produce Witchfinder General. So there's a bit of a, a weird moment of that where they do something similarly. And it, by that point, basically feels like a Monty Python bit. Um which was a little hilarious, but yeah, this, this movie was like pretty dark and, and Vincent Price was excellent in this. And I would almost say that like his character is, is basically what a modern day incel would be who they view themselves as this, this man who accumulates power and wealth and he expects women to throw themselves at him. And if he doesn't like how uppity a woman is basically then he has the uh the the right from the government to torture and, and murder uh these women uh at his disposal at his discretion basically and so it, it's a it's a it's a pretty terrifying but very well-rounded character that that price plays yeah it's a it's an incredibly dark movie like i and it's interesting too to note that reeves um he wanted a he had a darker version of this movie so he considered this version of it to be relatively toned down um compared <laughs> to his like earlier drafts which really says something but i think price is excellent in it and i know that um you know him being american and whatnot i think that that i for british audiences anyways probably um colored it a little bit but he's excellent like he's probably one of the best specifically in horror too one of the best horror actors that has ever made movies right like he's he's just one of the best actors that's done it and yeah he's incredible in it the movie for as for as manic and as dark as it is it is very well-rounded and i would completely agree with you that it's not it's not folk horror to what we think of i think they call it folk horror just because there's the witch element to it Mm-hmm. Um, but there isn't, there isn't a witch element to it in the sense of like, like spiritually witchy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, like there's, there's no character in this that actually believes in witchcraft. Yeah. It's just, it's just like the concept of there are witches and we're going to kill them, even though they're not really witches, but we just want to find a reason to kill a bunch of women basically. Um, but it's, it's a great movie. Like it's still, I think it still stands the test of time. I think it, I mean, it was made for, I think I saw it was 89,000 pounds, um, and that's 1968. So I can't imagine that that's considered a massive budget for the time, but it definitely wasn't tiny either. Um, but it's it's a really good movie that I think is still still very watchable. You know, sometimes older movies, they're not the best. <laughs> like They're not the greatest, and I find especially in horror, some of the effects can look a little bit wonky, but because this one doesn't have that element of quote unquote horror movies. Um, yes. Yeah, maybe this is kind of closer to being like seven, which is, it's kind of horror, but not pure horror exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great movie. Vincent Price is amazing. The character of Hopkins is pretty phenomenal in a very deranged way. Um, mm. And it's an interesting look into the English civil war as well. Like that kind of time period um, in England. Yeah. I, I think that's something that maybe. It, it, I, I, maybe you need to know a bit more to really kind of mm-hmm. appreciate it because it, it really is kept on the back burner. Mm-hmm. There's like the opening title card where they talk about it a little bit and they explain his role. And and there is, you know, 
there's a few lines here and there where some areas of the country he's more welcome in, some areas of the country he isn't, which clearly is an indication of how the war is going. And there's talk about people who are are loyal to the king and people who are are loyal to who he's facing, which I, I don't have the notes in front of me of, of how the, the civil war was playing out at the time. But yeah, it's it's I think it's one of those things where you may be need to know a bit more maybe this is this is a movie that maybe plays a bit better in england than maybe it did in america despite having you know a big star like vincent price in it whereas like you watch it i watch it as a canadian that knows relatively little about uh england the united kingdom's history and just be like well i can't really argue or refute any of this i don't really know any of it so i'll take it all at face value sort of thing i had a friend who watched this um a few years ago now, but they went to me and they went, I didn't know England had a civil war. <laughs> I went, yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, I think every country had a civil war, but I get, like, I kind of saw where he was coming from. Like, we don't really think of England as having civil wars. Like, England for us in modern day history is the country that starts civil wars. Like, they're the ones who are <laughs> the crux of a civil war. For So for them yeah. to have a civil war is very odd. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, funny but like i think that that's kind of a neat thing about movies as well like it if you can it's not the easiest movie to track down um i think it's on i I watched on youtube personally um but it's one of those that's like you watch it maybe you get interested in that section of history and then you go and learn more about it i don't even know how much kids in england learn about this they must right they must it's part of their history yeah i don't know but um yeah and and this movie, I think, if anyone is sort of like a, a fan of the Arthur Miller play The Crucible, which mm. sort of takes a look at the Salem Witch Trials, I think you'll probably see a lot of similarities between that and this because it very much is about uh, a community or individual people that have kind of gone mad with power and are easily accusing anyone that doesn't sort of agree with their belief system. Like, you almost have to wonder if you know, this Witchfinder general character more is about uh, weeding out possible insurrectionists to the the king than it is than of actually finding witches. Like, I don't even think that the Matthew Hopkins character believes that he is hunting actual witches. Um, like, it, it's, it's one of those things where you often wonder where uh, people in power versus the followers, who is a true believer, like a quote-unquote true believer, and you have to wonder if this person leading the charge is a true believer or if he's just doing it because it grants him money and power and women and all this sort of thing. Um, whereas some of the people that seem to follow him are more of the true believers. I mean, you don't have to make a massive stretch either to make parallels to what's going on today either. No. Um, yes. Which kind of shows you like it's, it's one of those never ending themes that will always be around and is probably a very, human nature thing maybe mm -hmm. which is a slightly pessimistic look on the world but um but yeah I, I that's an excellent reference to make the crucible i didn't even think about that one i haven't read the crucible <laughs> in ages like i think i read it like 10 years ago i haven't touched it since well you know i love connecting obscure english horror movies to <laughs> slightly obscure uh american plays you're a man of the people is what you're trying to say. Oh, it's course. your man of the I people. Am. Yeah, obviously. Yes. Oh, it's a really, really good connection, though. Um, and The Crucible's <laughs> not that obscure, is it? The Crucible's probably one of the most cherished American plays. And um, Arthur Miller, in particular, is one of the most cherished um, American playwrights ever. Yeah. 
So don't worry, it's common. You're just like a pleb, basically, talking about the Crucible. Hey there. If you're listening to this podcast ad, first off, you've got great taste in podcasts. Kudos to you. But secondly, you probably like movies, watching them, thinking about them, analyzing them, and reviewing them. And while the tales we see on the big screen do merit discussion, I think that's only half the story. Why do we see so many sequels instead of original films? What determines which films get sequels in the first place? Is there more to the directors making a big hullabaloo about seeing their films in theaters than on streaming? And beyond the obvious social good, why is making more diverse films important? The answer to all these questions and more can be found on my podcast, The Box Office Watch, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. For better or worse, Hollywood is the business, and which films are profitable and which aren't uh, determines what kind of films get greenlit and which ones don't. Each week, I go over the box office charts to understand which films are on that path to profitability and which ones aren't, as well as to understand any major headlines in the movie industry that might affect those bottom lines. I help you understand industry terms like exhibitor splits, multipliers, and per theater averages. And honestly, the story of how a film grew wings and flew at the box office or fumbled around and flopped can sometimes be more engrossing than the actual story on screen, in my opinion. Box Office Watch can be found on all major podcast stores, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, and I hope to catch you there. And remember, our watch goes on. Over the last four episodes, you probably have noticed a trailer for Box Office Watch. Host Paulo Bautista has actually been a guest on ContraZoom a few times, and it's been an honor to have his trailer play here. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you subscribe to his show, as he is the best person to analyze and break down Hollywood numbers. When it comes to Oscar season, also check out his show, Oscars Death Race Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening to his trailer these last few weeks. When the grave of the devil is disturbed by the plow, the satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. But it weren't human, sir. There were fur. Then it was an animal's remains. It were more like some fiend. And the evil grows quickly attacking first the youth of the village and making them the devil's children. Alf, look, look. Oh, God, I prayed I'd never see that again. That's what they call the devil's skin. Now, what is the second film in our unholy trinity, Rachel? So we're moving on to Blood on Satan's Claw. Now, this, I will flat out say this i actually don't really like this movie very much um it's okay but i'm not a massive fan of it so let's just get that out of the way first um so blood on satan's claw follows the discovery of a deformed skull that is believed to be kind of evil in nature or have like a supernatural kind of power to it and the man who finds it brings it to a judge and the judge uh sorry and before the judge can actually assess it um, the skull disappears and the judge just kind of dismisses it as this man having um, incredibly superstitious ways about him, tendencies. There's in a countryside village in England, of course, uh, a woman's become possessed and sent to an asylum. Her fiance has visions of a claw that is attacking him. And it's the same claw that he saw on his fiance. He goes to attack his own hand or what he believes to be the claw and he ends up chopping off his own hand, which he discovers in the morning. The skull in the, this village um, is, or sorry, the rest of the body of the, from the skull is discovered in this village and the village itself has been taken over by 
I wouldn't say paranormal. It's like, let's keep the supernatural. It's a, a taken over by supernatural evil. Um, and the person who seems to be at the center of all this is somebody named Angel Blake, who's played by Linda Hayden. And despite me not liking this movie that much, I do think Hayden is really, really, really good in this. And she's um, another actress who's done a ton of uh, horror movies. Um, so the children of this village are soon becoming kind of possessed, very evil, and they're starting to commit some pretty heinous crimes against one another. The judge comes from London into the village and has determined, yeah, no, there was actually some evil that has overtaken the village. And him and the search party are trying to restore the community and figure out what's happened. Um, so as I said, I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but Dakota, I know you really liked it. So give us your thoughts. Yeah, this is interesting. This might be uh, our first fight about a movie. <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever really so divergently had different opinions yeah. on a movie. I feel like we at least have some t- common ground. But yeah, this, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was probably my favorite of, of the three of them. And I loved the direction specifically by Pierce Haggard. I thought that was an excellent job. There's a few things early on that like just sort of blew my mind the way he was structuring the shots. Uh, the The first one is after um, the, the fiancé goes crazy i'm rosalind is her name and uh she's being taken to a mental hospital and so she's walking down the stairs and she's sort of tied up a little bit and she's completely dazed and you know has a bit of a smile on her face and doesn't seem to recognize anyone and so she's being led down the stairs and she stops in front of her fiance and looks at him uh and and has this sort of like little cocked head smile thing and then she lifts her hand and puts it on the banister and it's a reveal of she's got claws on her hand so she has slowly been turning into this beast and then she keeps walking i love that reveal it was so well done and then likewise later on when peter is trying to understand what was going on to her he goes into the room that she was staying and he lies down and then wakes up because he hears some noise just like it happened to her and he's looking around and he sees like the floorboard is kind of popping up a little bit so he opens it up and he almost gets dragged into the the floor because the this creature is there oh you see an arm at least and then like it was a little weird at first i was like i don't know what's happening because he like frees himself and puts a trunk over the floorboard and then just goes back to sleep. I'm like, what the hell? But we soon realize it's kind of just sort of in his head. And then he gets woken up because he's being strangled by this claw. And then that's where, like you had mentioned in the description, he starts stabbing it and cutting it off. And then the camera rotates over the rest of his body. And we we see that he's actually strangling himself and he's cutting his own hand off. And like that moment is like, creeped me right down and i think it was just done so well and i really appreciated that there was there was quite a few little moments like that throughout the movie where they did a great job of setting up this is what you think the terror is but now we're going to rotate the camera you know 20 45 degrees whatever it is and we see the reveal and it's completely different than what you thought and the terror of it being something else is actually very likely yourself i think i would have to agree with you that i think that the movie is really well made I don't dispute that. I do think the movie as like as a like a film is really, really well done. All the performances are really great. And you're right, um, Haggard does an amazing job. And it's incredible like the shots are really inventive and the cinematography is pretty spot on as well. Like it's it's fantastically done. 
I just don't find there's very much to the story itself. Like that for me, it's like kind of anytime a story doesn't make sense, no matter how, how, not that it doesn't make sense, but like no matter how well done a movie is, if I find the story to be slightly superficial, it just loses it with me. I find that this, this one, there's just not much substance to it. Like it's, there's an evil presence, if you will, that's like taken over a village and that's that like i don't know and it's very possible that just the subtext and the nuances of it just completely went over my head um but i just i didn't find it like the story itself to be that interesting hmm. yeah oh yeah, that's so interesting because i i feel the complete opposite i i, <laughs> I really liked how we sort of like this this young teenage girl angel who she sort of like one by one roping more people in to this sort of worship of, of this devil creature where it starts out where it's her and her fellow, uh, I guess basically like Sunday school students, yeah. other teenagers. But then as the movie sort of goes on and their group kind of gets a bit larger, you realize that there's other adults there as well, that they've sort of been, been cast into this spell as well. And then there's this, you know, uh, big pivotal funeral scene where they had killed one of the, these teenage boys and they're at the funeral and, Angel is there and she's got the most striking light blue eyes and just sort of burrowing into different people and sort of the like feeling that they get where they're it's like they're being possessed and she has this like little smirk on the face and and, and Haggard is using these like ex- extreme close-up shots right of Angel's face of, of actress Linda Hayden who does such a good job with that in my opinion that like I really loved how creepy and uncomfortable it was and I was really put off of just like how happy and excited she was for all of this and mischievous she was for all of this so it's just really interesting watching that sort of explore and her grow in power and have more people become her her followers as she leads them it almost seems like she's sort of like the the queen for satan basically because by the end at the very end this this disgusting creature that kind of looks like a mix between a man that's in a werewolf costume with like a bat face almost she's basically side by side with him as they're performing this final ritual sort of thing so i really like i don't know like yeah i really really enjoyed this one and i think they did a great job of it was probably the the actual scariest one out of the three for me too see i didn't find it scary (laughs) like i didn't no to be fair i didn't find any of them scary like i don't think i maybe witch finder general there were moments of not scary but just like uncomfortable (laughs) like being like i don't like this it was just very dark Mm. um but i didn't find any of them to be particularly like uh, oh i need to like close my eyes i don't really do that in movies anyways but like i don't i I didn't feel very scared at at, in any of them and if anything it sounds terrible i like that one um blood on satan's claw i was actually kind of bored watching it um i know it's kind of funny how how far apart we are in this one but like i i do completely agree though like and i said this already but i think it's a very very well-made movie and i think that technically speaking everything there's a check mark next to it right like the um the performances are amazing the costumes the makeup the um the the shots and all like all of that to me is great I don't really like the script. I don't really like the, pr- uh, the premise is fine. I think the premise is okay. It's interesting, but um, I don't, I just don't find the execution of it to be very good. Like just in terms of storytelling. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Another, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to ignore you and keep talking about things. I liked. I love the music in this. The very beginning. Oh, 
Okay, yeah, I agree. The music you is like very, okay. very good. The music is very, very yeah. nice. The score is great in this one. It's got at the very beginning when when they first find the the skull. It's got this like weird, almost like twinkling aspect to yeah. it. I'm hoping I could find it and insert some uh, around this moment because yeah, it's, a, it's such a good job. Where like it, I, this movie really does feel. You understand why the term folk horror is because it really does have like a connection to the land and the earth and the community and the folk mythology that's happening in England at the time. So yeah, I, I really appreciated how the music sort of tied everything together. There's a couple moments, much like basically every movie, where the score is kind of trying to, to do too much heavy lifting, which I really hate. I was, uh, years ago, when I saw Guillermo del Toro present Rebecca at TIFF, he talked about how some scores, uh, Mickey Mouse, which is his his idea of when they're they're doing too much and they're when when something is supposed to be happy it's very happy when it's sad it's very sad and it's like it's telegraphing too much and so there are moments of that in this movie but overall i think it's a very unique score and and there's some really interesting little moments and motifs where it doesn't repeat itself but there's still a nice connective tissue through all of it whereas like a lot of movies will like repeat the same motifs over and over again so that way you understand oh this is the character's theme this is you know every time there's a jump scare this is what it is sort of thing this i think it has a nice job of evolving as the movie goes on while still sort of keeping some originality and like some 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 connective tissue throughout it yeah i completely agree with that the mu- the music is really really good i like that's actually really really nice analysis of the music Good. i like that idea I'm of like glad we agree yeah the music like evolving with the movie as it does because you're right most movies they kind of set a theme and set a tone and then that's pretty much it for the whole one yeah. <laughs> uh, which isn't a bad thing i mean like recall of themes is crowd pleasing i think people really like yeah. that because it's like the the recall of familiarity i suppose um i'm just thinking of like the avengers theme that every time that that comes on people just freak out just really excited for <laughs> they're just super excited for the avengers theme um but okay so we divide a little bit not a little bit quite a bit actually a lot quite a bit <laughs> quite yeah. a, quite quite a lot on this one sergeant howie west highland police i am here to investigate the disappearance rowan morrison if she existed we would know you suspect power will play i suspect murder Sergeant, if I would you, I would go back to the mainland. You wouldn't be around here on lady. Hail the Queen of the Bay! Shall we move on to the Wicker Man, or is there anything else you want to talk about? Of. No, let, let's talk about the Wicker Man because this this is the most well known of the mm-hmm. three, probably because it got remade by by Nicolas Cage Blech. a few years ago. Uh, but even even still, I think it's a pretty popular, well known horror movie. So yeah, let, let's talk about that one. So I completely agree. I think it's it is the most well known, and I also think it's the one that is the most folk horror of what we consider today to be folk horror. I think a lot of, like when I think of Midsommar, it draws a lot from the Wicker Man. Um, But we'll go into, okay, so we'll go into the description first. So we have Sergeant Neil Howey, who's played by Edward Woodward, Edward Woodward, um, from the West Highlands. And he goes to Summer Isle, an island off the coast of Scotland, um, to follow up on an anonymous letter sent to him about a missing girl. As Howie is investigating um, the disappearance of this girl, he discovers the island to be very paganistic, um, which is in stark contrast to his 
very tightly wound Christian beliefs. He begins to believe that the girl might have been murdered, um, given all of the kind of, in his opinion, the cultish behavior that's happening on that island. And so the film follows him in his investigation about what happened to her. There's an amazing supporting performance from Christopher Lee in this as Lord Summer Isle. Uh, I think I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty confident. I read that Christopher Lee said that this was one of his favorite movies that he's done. Um, and one of, and he's fantastic in it. And like, I think the best theme that we have throughout the three is that all of the performances across all three movies from the lead actors to the supporting actors, everybody's really, really good. Like, I think there's a, there's a very good reason these three movies still stand the test of time. And I think that the performances has a lot to do with that. So in this movie, you've got the religious themes that, like I said, Midsommar takes a lot from this one. I think like you can see a lot of direct connections between the two films um, and might be why I really like Midsommar. And I also really, really like uh, The Wicker Man, which is my favorite of these three. And you've got a lot of the, I really enjoy the kind of the contrasting of the Christian, the very strict Christian beliefs of the time. And then with what they considered to be paganism or paganistic kind of uh, rituals. It's, nearly 50 years old now. I mean, all these movies are really old. And I think that all of them, even Blood of Satan's Claw, like I think that there are aspects of it that hold up really well to modern day audiences. Um, And I think it's a lot to do with the fact that the effects are practical. Um, They shoot it like there's no green screen, like they really just shoot it on set. So everything looks, it's very tangible. There's a lot of texture to it. And I think that that adds a lot to kind of having more outlandish uh, aspects to the themes of the film. How do you find this one, Dakota? Do we agree on this one? Do we both like it? Uh, I, I like this one the least. Oh my three, God. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're on uh, different uh, wavelengths for this episode, which is very interesting. I, I was kind of bored by a lot of this movie. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. Like, I liked the the Sergeant Howie sort of character. I liked how interested he was in trying to find the truth of it all and like not accepting the BS that this community was saying where they're talking about, oh, yeah, this girl never existed. We don't yeah. know her. Oh, she's not really the daughter of this person. Oh, yeah, she was here, but, you know, we haven't seen her. Oh, yeah, she died. Oh, yeah, we killed her. Oh, yeah, we buried her already, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, like, there's this, like, whole little arc of what really happened to this girl that they're they're revealing but yeah it's so it's so easy to see the comparisons to midsummer i I even i would say all three of these movies between the witch and midsummer you can definitely see how they influence those two directors Mm -hmm. of the different movies because i would say both witchfinder general and blood on satan's claws had elements that were lifted for the witch and i would say both blood on satan's claw and Wicker Man had elements that uh, are related to Midsommar as well. Absolutely. I, I I think that the Christopher Lee performance was solid, not as great as, as Vincent Price and, and Christopher mm-hmm. Lee. Yeah. I am a fan of, and I know he really can bring it. Um, he had a, I, I had to write down this one quote that he says at one point, and he goes, shocks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent, which I just <laughs> absolutely love that when he was telling <laughs> the, the sergeant to sit down before he was revealing some information. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know why. I just I just didn't connect with this movie at all and didn't really find it interesting. That's really interesting. 
that is interesting <laughs> like that we depart so <laughs> so much here um i don't know i i i i like okay hold, hold on before we get into that did you ever see the nicholas cage version of this i have not no so i saw it i saw it a couple years ago because i i kind of put off watching it for a while it's really bad um it's really not good but i'm curious maybe if you watch it maybe that's the one that you like maybe their version <laughs> like the one Doubt it. the one that i it really can't look like see. my type no it's it's not it's not nicholas cage at his best it's no pig i will say that much it is no pig <laughs> um but no i i i really love the wickman i think for me whenever there's um religious undertones i find that really interesting like i love contrasting between kind of like a, a more traditional archaic past um not to call christianity archaic but i guess i kind of just did um but comparing it to something that like having somebody so uptight and then having them forced into an, an incredibly uncomfortable environment um where they're just a visitor like they're just he's just a tourist sergeant howie's just there for a blip of time he was just sent there to investigate this um, disappearance of this girl and he's not getting the right answers it's also like a, a bit of a, a whodunit kind of thing which i also really enjoy those kinds of movies so maybe that's why um i just i find that like it's there's a lot to be said about you know the uk in general kind of coming to terms with the fact that it was becoming a very uh atheistic country or you know it's i I should have pulled the stat on this, but I'm pretty confident they're the ones, they're the leading country in the world that identifies, that has the largest percentage of their population that identifies as, um, as an atheist, which I always found really interesting because they typically were a country that was, you know, a lot of blood was shed from England specifically um, because of religion. You know, you can look at even something like the troubles that were, uh, you know, that you talked about in Belfast, um, in your Vancouver, your VIF episode, go check that one out. <laughs> See, I did a little plug there. Um, Thank you. I like it. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's always been fascinating to me, like looking at the development of the UK, especially when it comes to religion, because going from some, a place that religion was so important to them. I mean, the queen is the head of state, uh, is the head of state, but also the head of their church um, to modern day. They don't give a shit about religion anymore. Like more and more they're not just becoming agnostic about religion or apathetic about religion. Like they're really becoming like atheist, an atheistic country. Um, and I mean, I, you could probably say that for maybe Canada as well. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, I, I always find those themes really interesting. And I found like the wicker man is a really, really good expression of that tension and that change that was happening in the country at the time. Yeah, I think that that is a a great way to look at it. It's so it's so funny watching this movie. It's it's about how you know they're they're turning away from Christianity and they have their own co- community on this island where they're left alone and they can practice what they want. And it's about how um, we're all a part of this earth and you need to be connected to it to be respectful to it and and you know um, thank the higher powers for a good harvest and all this sort of stuff. And and I'm watching this movie. I'm like. Nothing they're saying sounds, you know, <laughs> wrong. I don't know. I, I'd live on Summer Isle, <laughs> minus the, the the killing part. But like, I don't know. Seems like it was a fine place to live. They had everything that they needed. I, f- I think it's interesting too that they they purposely set this movie um, off Scotland, like not so 
not like the Isle of Man or the Isle of Wight or something like that. Like they actually went, yeah. we're going to go to Scotland to do this. Like, I think that that's a very pointed choice um, as well. But I, I would live on Summer Isle. I could get in with the paganistic stuff. Why not? It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> I also really, really love the like the final kind of set piece of the Wicker Man burning, like that big effigy burning. I thought that was incredibly cool. Um, because you know that they did that, like they actually burnt a giant effigy, like they built something up and then they just burnt it down. Um, I love that. And I, I like it was, I think, especially now with so many years behind the film, I think we all know what the ending is going to be in terms of like, there is going to be this giant set display of it. But I found it to like, it looked really, really cool. It looked very, um, I don't want to say awe-inspiring because that sounds like I'm praising the Wicker Man the effigy of it and i don't mean to say it that way but it's just it's like a very interesting thing of thinking of like this giant set piece that's just burning on this hill in scotland like i think that that's really neat yeah they did they did a really great job with the 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 practical effects aspect of it yeah like again i think i've already said this but i think all of the films did all three of these movies like there's there's a lot of positives about all three i think that Clearly it shows, you know, we're not on the same page for the last two. Although Witchfinder General, we were pretty much exactly on, on par for that one. Um, but I think there's a lot of through lines in terms of like great performances. I think that the direction of all three films is really good. Uh, the director for Wicker Man actually too, he directed what they call like the spiritual sequel. It's called The Wicker Tree, um, which I have seen. And it's okay. It's not as good as The Wicker Man, but he really tried to distance himself. Uh, he being Robin Hardy, sorry, the director um, distance himself from the American version that was, that came out in 06 with Nicholas Cage, as we mentioned. Um, he wanted to make it very clear. He had nothing to do with that movie. <laughs> so I think yes. him doing the wicker tree was kind of, I suppose his response to it. Um, and then he ended up passing away, I think a few years after that. So uh he hasn't directed too much. And I think Wicker Man is obviously going to be the one that he's most well known for. I love it. I think it's an amazing piece of folk horror and like a, a cool starting point for a, a subgenre that I think is one of the more inventive in terms of storytelling, especially in terms of storytelling. And one that I think that we're seeing like a really nice kind of revival of it today. Like since I think Ari Aster and uh, Robert Eggers and, Ben Wheatley, I almost forgot his name. <laughs> ben Wheatley, ben Wheatley yeah, quite a few. Like you know, those guys coming up and and creating something. And I would say even Guillermo del Toro, someone who doesn't work in folk horror, but um, what's his horror kind? Of? He has it's like called gothic horror. gothic horror. Like I think that that has influence into it as well. Like from these movies, and I think it's really fun. Like looking back at the older films that have influenced so many of the ones that we enjoy today. Because there's tons of people who don't like watching movies from you know, the 60s, 70s, 50s, whatever, um, just because they think it's a bit outdated. But I think if you give these ones a shot, like you'll find at least hopefully one of them sticks with you, I think. It'll probably be The Wicker well, Man, just not Blood Stained Claw. Just saying. Yes. Well, it's uh, very funny. <laughs> let's, let's just put it this way. My, my brother recently watched The Thing, right. uh, the Kurt Russell movie, for the first time recently, a few weeks ago. And he was talking about, he's like, wow, I can't believe how old this movie is. I'm like, dude. The thing is in the 80s, it's not that old of a movie. He's like, it's so old though. I'm just like, yeah. it's old. he's like, it's older than you. I'm like, come on. Like, 
And so we're talking about movies, and I mentioned stuff of like from like the fifties. He's like, "Whoa, that's really old." <laughs> I'm just like, "There are movies sure. like there are movies that don't even have sound to them because it wasn't invented yet." Right? I know. <laughs> but I think it's cool, like, though. I, I think it's cool. Your brother's like, even if he finds like the thing to be an old movie, like which objectively speaking, I think a teenager would think that that's a really old movie now, <laughs> but, um, which my brother is 29. I was gonna say for the record, your brother is not a teenager, but, um, no, <laughs> I think it's, it's cool though, that he's like kind of finding these things and maybe, maybe that sets him down a path of like, maybe he'll become like a real guru at silent film. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> that, that would be the day. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I think I think to sort of put a bow on this conversation, I'm I'm sort of curious about how you think the three of these movies, you know, they're they're called the Unholy Trinity. Do you think that they do they truly believe belong in a grouping together, and, and are they influential enough to deserve uh, that sort of moniker that uh, we look back of, of sort of not necessarily being the origins, but really the the mainstream entry point for this genre. I think so. I think that um, even even though I don't think there's a common theme to the three of them, like I, they're very different movies. All three of them are exceptionally different films. I think the time period that they came out, um, I think that has a lot to do with it and just kind of a growing trend in film. Um, and I mean, like you could even lump like say three superhero movies together um, from the early 2000s and say that was kind of a trilogy that started off um, on the current trend that we have today. Right. So I think historically speaking in terms of time, time stamping, I think that these three movies do fit together really well and they do deserve, I think the credit that they have of being a jumping off point of a different type of horror movie. Um, it's definitely a turning point in film, I think. And, and it's interesting that it was so focused in Britain as well. Um, I've seen other people grouping unholy trinity trinities trinities yeah trinities and <laughs> but they're talking about oh i'm gonna forget one it was rosemary's baby the omen and there's one more um but those to me were more like hollywood kind of that's that's where hollywood's horror kind of went so i like that there's this yeah. kind of grouping of these films um around and yeah i i think it's an excellent waypoint in terms of film history as well just in general how about you yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that's the key thing about you're talking about how there there isn't a lot in common between these three movies, but you can look at them and much like I was kind of referencing at the very top of the show, some of the different tropes that are, are evident throughout the folk horror subgenre, all these movies kind of really had it. You know, it's it's stuff like uh witchcraft and being against witchcraft, uh devil worshipping, um a rejection of Christianity, uh, paganism, you know, uh, loving and nurturing the earth sort of things where you can definitely like sort of pick and, and choose a bit of all of that from all three of these movies, which is interesting that, you know, you watch them and they don't really work well. Like, like with our A24 series that we do, we always do a double pairing and you can really see how they're connected. I wouldn't do a double pairing of any of these movies together because they don't really have a long common. I would say maybe Witchfinder General and, and Blood on Satan's Claw are probably the closest of the three, but that's only because they both take place in medieval England. Outside of that, there there's really 
no real connection between any of them. They all they all do horror in very different ways. You know, Witchfinder General is very much a man is is the worst creature on earth sort of horror, and then Blood on Satan's Claw is very much about the sort of uh, occult devil worshiping aspect, and then uh, the Wicker Man is very much of like the paganism. Uh, rejection of Christianity element. So they're all they're all vastly different and have very different tones through all of them. But when you're looking at you know what what's the jumping off point for this subgenre, I think they do do a good enough job where you could be like look at something like Midsummer and be like, yes, I understand who its predecessors were. Yeah, and I think for people like us who take like a and a maybe borderline obsessive interest in film like more than the average bearer kind of thing um those types of threads that connect the past to the present i think are are incredibly interesting and there's so much um literature written about these three films too like if you look there's tons of different websites that have devoted lots and lots of time to talking and writing about it and like we said the documentary um woodlands dark is absolutely phenomenal and i think is still doing the rounds at festivals i i'm pretty confident yeah it definitely is yeah yeah so if like if it's if you if this is interesting to you at all i think that documentary isn't that documentary is an excellent jumping off point for the jumping off point like it's it's such a yes um a great resource of how this genre came to be and at the front of it is these three movies that I think, it, like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've both said it now. It's just connected by time, not necessarily by, by theme. Um, but it's important, you know, like it's important that these three happen to come out within, was it within like a five year period, a five, six year period? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Cause it's like 68 to 73. Three? I think 73. Yeah. So, you know, it, within such a short period of time, having these three movies come out that are so seminal and so important to um, horror and folk horror specifically. I think it's pretty amazing that that happened. And also within the same country. I actually think that that's really interesting that it all started off in, in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely check out Will and Stark and Daisy Witch if you get the chance. It's a very academic film, but it's also very entertaining. And the fact that there's so many great interviews and movie clips that you, you really can't go wrong with something like that. If you're a fan of any of these three movies or any of the other folk horror stuff that we've been talking about, really can't stress that enough that you will really enjoy that film. Um, but yeah, that this, this was a, a fun one. I really enjoyed talking about these and getting to check some different movies off of my watch list that I've, I've wanted to see. Um, mostly since I've watched Woodlands dark really, yeah. uh, because I hadn't heard of, of the first two. I'd only heard of the wicker man before, but uh, I, I am glad I finally got to watch all three of them and, and can, expand my horror horizons anymore but uh this is this was also this was a very fun halloween episode and i really enjoyed it and i'm glad we got to do something a little fun and a little different with it this year yeah i think we both enjoy film history too so i think it's kind of cool that we're able to talk about that and dive into that a little bit apart from i guess more of the modern day films that we usually discuss Mm -hmm. all right well then uh rachel what have you been working on and where can people find you uh, as always, you can find me at rachelkh.com and what else? Oh, my social media, which is underscore Rachel KH. Um, I recently did an interview with Nadine Pequenez, Pequeneza. I'm so sorry. I'm pretty confident I butchered your last name. Um, but she has a new film out called The Last Rites of 
Last of the Right Whales. Um, but yeah, it's on the interviews for that shelf.com. So you can go check it out there. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes for people to check out. Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And let us know what your favorite folk horror movies, or really what movies you're watching this October, this Halloween. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music, and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.